Good morning, church. A lively group this morning. I love it. So my name is Jason. I'm one of the teaching elders here at Celebrate. Um, my side gig is I get to lead a team at the well, which is a pretty, pretty amazing team of folks. And when I sat down and, and talked with Andrew a little bit about this scripture, um, you're going you're gonna to see, you're going to hear as I talk about it, it can be a little bit harsh. And I'm like, Andrew, how in the world does this tie to hospitality? Um, so we're going to try to weave everything together. I'll say when I went through it, it really challenged me to think about not only myself, but the well, all the different places I am engaged in, in how we serve. What does serving look like um, as a body of believers? Um, so if you think about Celebrate Church, we use the term that we are gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. So this whole sermon series on kingdom hospitality is really about gathering. How do we come together? So what I'm going to be doing today is I'm going to be wrapping up this series, but I want to give you just a quick reflection on what we've heard up until this point. So Andrew kind of initially talked about Mary and Martha, and the, kind of the theme of that message was how do we focus on listening versus becoming anxious, versus having anxiety. Uh, Allie and Andrew both talked about the woman at the well. So think about that story. Jesus met the woman at the well. Um, he gave her time. He gave her attention. He gave her focus. He knew about her, and he spoke into that with her. Uh, Judd talked about, he used the act acronym WAIT. What am I thinking? When I engage with people, what am I, what am I thinking? I can often be thinking about, what are we having for lunch today? I can often be thinking about something that is not focused on that person. Uh, last week for Pentecost, Aubrey talked about giving the disciples peace, purpose, and power. So how did he speak into the disciples to go out and serve? And some other things that I just, I just kind of heard as I listened to those messages were, um, there was a message where we talked about Jesus receiving outsiders at a, at a banquet. So how did he reach out to people that were not in his circle? How did he connect with them? And then certainly there was a theme of how do we love our neighbors as ourselves? So our next series is Let's Go. Um, if you know me, if you're around me at all, you know that I am a go person. Um, so I'm excited to jump into that next series about going. How do we take this now and how do we go out and serve? So the scripture today comes out of, out of Matthew, uh, Matthew 25, it's verses 31 to 46. And I always think about when I prepare um, for a message, think about what's the context of what's going on in this scripture? How do we, how do we set it up? And what is going on here is this is the last parable that Jesus shares prior to the crucifixion, okay? So this is the last parable he is sharing with his disciples. And the message is pretty, pretty simple. Um, that message is you have a choice to follow me or not, but know if you don't follow me, there will be consequences to that, okay? The second part is following me means that because of, because of my faith in Jesus, I choose to engage the world through His eyes. 
I can't look at it through my lens. I need to look at it through how he has taught me to engage, to engage the world. So let me, let me dive into this scripture, and I want to start. I'm going to ask you, I'm trying to remember, I think Aubrey asked this last week, for you to close your eyes, because I, wa- I want you to have perspective on the first verse out of, this, out of this scripture. So close your eyes, if you would. And Jesus starts with, but when the Son of Man comes in His glory, picture Jesus in His glory, all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon the glorious throne. Picture in your mind, what does that mean? What is Jesus in all of His glory, surrounded by angels on His throne? That is the picture He is creating for the disciples. You can open your eyes. He says, all the nations will be gathered in His presence. And who He is addressing here, He's not addressing the Jews. He's addressing the Gentiles. He's addressing all of us. He's saying all of us will be gathered in His presence. And He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So if you think about a shepherd, while they are tending their flock, their flock is going to be sheep, it's going to be goats, but there are times when he needs to separate them because he's got to take the sheep out to shear them. So he's going to separate them. And then he said, he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And when you think about the sheep, we'll talk about the sheep first. Sitting them at the right hand, the right hand is a place of honor in the culture. Okay, so he's saying the sheep get the place of honor. And in, uh, in John 10, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. We belong to Christ. He is our shepherd, right? So that's where we need to keep our focus. Um, I, I, uh, my wife kind of laughed at me because I, I like watching YouTube videos. So when I got this thought of, I've got to talk about sheep and goats, I started watching videos on sheep and goats. So, one night I was watching how they flipped over a cow to trim its hooves, and I just became enamored with watching how they handle, handle livestock. But if you think about a sheep, a sheep produces something. What does a sheep produce? Wool, right? A sheep is a producer. Sheep eat with their heads down. Sheep are in a humble posture all the time. They eat with their heads down. I have, a, I have a friend that, I don't know how I remember this, but about 30 years ago, he is a veterinarian. And he said, there are four S's to sheep. So somehow we got talking about sheep. He said, there's four S's to sheep. And the four S's are sick sheep seldom survive. He said, if a sheep ever gets in a predicament, it is bound to die. They're a pretty frail animal. So what I hear in that is as sheep, we need our, our shepherd, right? So I'm going to show just a quick little video here. And what it is, 
is it's a video. I believe there's three people that are trying to call sheep to, from the pasture in. They are not the shepherd. And then the last thing that happens is the shepherd comes in to call them. So just watch this video. So who do the sheep listen to? Who do they listen to? They listen to their shepherd, right? How do we hear our shepherd? We hear our shepherd by being in this. We hear our shepherd by being with you, right? So we need to do those things as we, as we think about we are sheep to Jesus our shepherd. Now, the goats. So, let's talk about the goats a minute. The goats get the left side. The left side is a sign of, that's the side of rejection, okay? Um, in the Bible, you'll see goats referenced a lot. Goats are typically oppressors. They're hard-headed. They're stubborn. They're wanderers. In Leviticus, it talks about the scapegoat, and here's a scripture that goes with it. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate, desolate land. So it's wandering. It's carrying sin. It's just wandering, wandering around. Um, I talked about sheep, how sheep eat. Goats eat with their heads up. They take an arrogant posture, right? They're always looking up so they can't, can't see. Um, Goats consume. They're major consumers, right? They're, think about a sheep. A sheep is a producer. It's producing wool. Um, I, had this, I had this really kind of fun opportunity. Uh, myself and some of our staff went on, if you can believe it, a goat hike. Anybody ever heard of a goat hike? What a goat hike is, is a group of people go out and they send goats with you. And these goats kind of follow you through the wilderness. And these goats are constantly pushing you out of the way, 
to get to where they're going. The only way the person could get the goats to come to them was she had a jar of carrots. So it was something that that goat was going to consume is what called it in. And Rich, who's one of our staff members, Rich's dad is a farmer. And Rich, I remember saying at one point in time, my dad would be rolling over in his grave today knowing that we paid to go on a walk with goats. Um, He said, goats are the most worthless animal there is for a farmer. So that is my picture of my picture of a goat, right? So I'm going to show you a, I'm going to show you another picture of a goat, another great little YouTube clip. So keep just take a look at this one. That's not a goat, by the way. The goats are on my Jeep. So does that give you a good illustration of the difference between a sheep and a goat? A sheep follows the shepherd's voice. The goats, what makes me chuckle about that video is when they get back up there, that one is almost kind of dancing around. Like he's having a good time knowing knowing his owner is yelling at him and carrying on, but he keeps going about his business. I uh, I spent about 20 years in the business world. And I remember um, one of the consultants we worked with, he said, there's two types of people out there. There's pretenders and there's contenders. The sheep are the contenders, right? The goats are the pretenders. Um, it's interesting when Jesus, when Jesus shares this parable, he doesn't say, I put the rich to my right and the poor to my left. He doesn't separate by groups. He's separating, separating by sheep and by goats. And I would say this, our fruit that we have in life, that we deliver in life, tells us which of those two groups we are in, right? So let's keep reading. Uh, verse 34 starts with, And the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. 
Inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the creation of the world. So listen to that. He says, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you. That doesn't mean we work to get into that kingdom. That kingdom is an inheritance for us, right? And he continues with verse 35, For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. So if you think about all of those things, we have the ability to do all of those things. Anybody in society can do all of those things. It does not, does not depend upon our standing. We can all do those things. We can all serve in those ways. So continuing with verse 37, it says, Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Okay. Now those things come out of come out of Isaiah. Isaiah fifty eight seven says, "Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood?" So continuing in Matthew verse forty, it says, "And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of." least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Here's kind of the key takeaway of this. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And the consequence, so go back to where I, where I kind of started this little section. The consequence is, he says, away with you. Away with you is extremely harsh wording. Um you are going to go to eternal punishment. Now, I've got a, I've got a study Bible as one of the references I use when I, I study for uh, sermons, and I found it interesting when it talked about this um, in my study Bible. It said there's really three, three words that they use. So, you go back to Greek, you go back to Hebrew. There's three words that, that it mentioned in that. The first one is, as part of eternal punishment, the first one is Sheol, that means the grave. You are going to the grave, okay? The second word that they use is Hades. Hades is the underworld. And the third word that is used is Gehenna. That's hell, everyone. That is the final place where the wicked go. So, he is using extremely harsh language. If you were a goat 
This is where you're going. If you were a sheep, follow me. Okay? So the scripture continues at verse 44. It says, Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you refused to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. So when I talk about the sheep and the goats, who are the righteous? The sheep, right? The sheep are following their shepherd. The sheep hear his voice. The sheep are in the word, right? The sheep have a guide. So as I, as I pondered this scripture, I'll be honest, I did not have a clear message um, right away. As I sat in this and processed this, I thought about, you know, how did, if, if we looked at the world today, how do we view Jesus? What does Jesus expect of us? What does the world tell us we need to do, right? Where's the church inside of all this? And when I say the church, the body of believers in the church, where do we sit in it? And then certainly in reading Scripture, I can't help but look at myself. How am I doing inside of all of this? So I want to dive into each one of those a little bit. So let's start with Jesus. You know, in this scripture, Jesus is warning us against unbelief. And when he's doing that, he's saying there is a consequence. That consequence is eternal punishment, right? So there's one lens to look at this through. I remember, um, I don't remember if I did it in this church or another church, I gave a sermon on what is, uh, what's the best commandment, the top commandment, right? And Jesus gets in discussion with the Pharisees, and he says, the most important thing is love your God. Love God with all your might, right? The second thing is love your neighbor, right? So that kind of rings through my head when I think about how does Jesus view what, sh- what we should do, how we go out. I find it interesting that Jesus forgave us before he stepped into our lives. Jesus forgave us by accepting our sin and dying on the cross, right? He then was resurrected. He came back to life. He then brought us the Holy Spirit, that little voice in the side of our head that says when you walk past the man on the side of the road that needs help, that says, maybe I should stop. Right? And I would say lastly for Jesus, he calls us into serving the least of these. He calls us, he invites us in to be part of serving and helping the least of these. So what does the world tell us. 
The world tells us we can do whatever we want. The world tells us we are the most important people. Our comfort is our king. That is what the world, that's what the world tells us. If I don't like something that somebody says or, do, says or does, I can go out to social media, I can drag them through the mud, I can do whatever else because it's all about me, right? That's what the world tells us. I looked up, I looked up the term social justice. Has anybody ever heard the term social justice? Only one person has heard the term social justice. Social justice, I looked it up and I, I tried to get a sense for what does social justice mean? And here's the definition it gave me. A fair and equitable division of resources, opportunities, and privileges in society. Did I read that in the Bible? What does the Bible tell us? The poor will always be with you. They'll always be among us, right? And then I, I continued reading this article on social justice, and it said there are four types of social, social justice. The first type is distributive. Distributive. Easy to say. Distributive really gets it. Who gets what? I'm going to take all these resources, and I'm going to even, evenly spread them across to everybody, okay? The second type is procedural. Procedural is about determining how people are treated, okay? The third one is retributive. That retribution is all about punishment for doing something wrong. That is a type of social justice. The fourth type is restorative. Restoring relationships to rightness is how it defines it. I don't know about you, but I can find all of those answers here. Do we need a social justice champion telling us this is how it is, without faith in one, right? I think it's interesting when I think about social justice. So I, I certainly work and serve in a social field, helping people um, dealing with social types of issues. And you can, you can get people that are so convicted about their cause. We do this because it's the right thing to do. I would say as Christians, we do things because we're called to do them. Do you feel a difference inside of those? We can sometimes get so hung up in the cause, we miss the greater goal. So let's talk about in the world social programs. There are all sorts of social programs out there, and please give me grace in my comments. Social programs are designed to help people that have needs. Is it possible that a social program can prevent someone from moving on their own? That it can create dependency for a person? So that thing that's got very good intentions actually prevents people from seeing, hey, I do have abilities. I do have resources. I do have ways that I can move forward. I was watching a, uh, I was watching a sermon online, and a pastor in an, in an impoverished area got really, really passionate. And he said, welfare is a slave master. 
And he was referencing back to Leviticus. In Leviticus, it talks about the farmers of the day would separate a portion of their field that people could come use was for gleaning. That was the extra that people could come consume. Very different way of looking at how we do things today. And I'd say we live in a world that says the problem is solved with money. I can just throw money things, money at things, and it will solve the problem. Do you think that that's real? I'll leave that as a rhetorical question. So let's talk about the church. So when I talk about the church, I'm referencing the church as a body of believers. It's all of us, all of us in a group. Okay? I have a number of friends of mine that are pastors. And I remember going to one of my pastor friends' churches. And he said, he said to his congregation, he said, man, you all are crazy. And what he was getting at was there was so much bickering and fighting inside the church, they'd lost sight of their mission, of what they were going out, going out to do. So I look back at an article around the early church. What was the early church built on? How did they do things? What was the early church? And here's three, three main takeaways I had from it. One of them was the early church was a multiracial and experienced a unity across ethnic boundaries. It didn't care who was in the church, right? We were all one. We were all one body of believers. The early church was a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. Why do churches split? How do they do it? Forgiveness and reconciliation, right? And the third one that was in there is the early church was famous for its hospitality to the poor and the suffering. So what are some things the church did in its day? Started schools, started orphanages, was our hospitals, was our relief agencies, the church was driving a lot of that stuff. Now, I'm going to share a little bit about my story kind of as we go here, but uh, I had a great opportunity to meet my biological dad about 12 years ago and found out he is from Quebec. Quebec is a province in Canada. And part of what I learned in that was Quebec used to be, I don't know, 200 years ago, the Catholic Church ran that province. They ran the schools, they ran the hospitals, they ran everything inside of that province. So the church had a significant influence in that, in that area. Well, in the 60s, they had something happen called the Silent Revolution. And the Silent Revolution, basically the church gave its authority to the government. Okay? So things transitioned from the church to the government. So I want to I challenge us to think about why do we as the church, why do we defer our responsibility to help people to someone else? What's our role in helping, in helping people? Okay? So then the last one I want to talk about here is me. You know, as I think about myself, as I processed this scripture, as I read it, how does this affect, how does this affect me? So one of the things I recognized is 
my time on this earth is short. We only have a limited amount of time on earth. My faith that I have in Jesus manifests itself in the actions I take. That is the book of James. If you read the book of James, it is not about works. It's about how do I take my faith and actually act it out in how I serve in my community. So I ask myself the question, is Jesus changing me? I can confidently stand up here in front of you and say, I'm not the same person today that I was 20 years ago. I'm not the same person today as I was five years ago, right? Jesus is changing me. I recognize that the Spirit of God is in me when I serve. When I serve people in need and engage with people in need, I, I, I feel the Spirit of God in me. And this is, this is kind of a harsh statement. I recognize that if I don't serve the poor, there is really no biblical grounding in my faith and who I am. I have to serve the poor, right? I have to serve those that are in need. I try to be very thankful, not only to the people that surround me, but to the Lord. Are we thankful? I think about margins. So we can think about that through the lens of money, right? We can think about how generous we are, how we give. I want to challenge you to not only think about it in the lens of money, but I want you to think about it in the lens of time. Where do we spend our time? Okay? So when I think about it through the lens of money, I would say, if I can't be generous with $20, I'm never going to be generous with 2000 right? Do I serve where the needs are? And I think about the world that tells us our families need to be involved in everything. And we run from activity to activity to activity. Are we seeing the people in the margins when we do that? Or are we consumed in the busyness of the world? I... Uh, one of the stats that I, I looked up was how much time does the average person spend on a screen a day? Could be phone, could be TV. What do you think that average is? Got a six hour. Anybody else? Three hours. Good, good work if it's three hours. Seven hours is what the average per day somebody spends on a screen. What if I took just one of those hours a week and served and spent time somewhere else than a screen? Another question I ask myself is, do I see Christ in others? So Genesis 1, way back in the first book of the Bible, it says we are all made in God's image. When you look at someone, do you see God's image back at you, or do you see a person that cursed you? Do you see a person that takes away? Do you see a goat, or do you see a sheep?
And lastly, when I think about reflecting, it's really acknowledging that following Jesus isn't something we do. It's something we're called into because we believe in this, right? So I want to share, I want to share a couple personal stories here. Um, I grew up in Northeast Iowa. People often ask me where I grew up, and I respond, I grew up in Northeast Iowa. I respond that way because my family moved 19 times before I graduated high school. We were a poor family. We were running from financial issues. We were constantly running from things. My family unit would have been a, a biological mom who uh, struggled with mental health, treated that with substances she shouldn't have been treating it with, and we just had a pretty dysfunctional family, pretty challenging, challenging family. So there was addiction in our home, there was abuse in our home, um, there were broken relationships, but it was interesting with those broken relationships, they always kind of held one another together. As dysfunctional as it could look from the outside, on the inside it looked normal. It looked like a family that cared for one another, that was going to support one another, that was going to do all those things. And when I think about growing up in that, the world was always telling me, was always telling us who we were. Nobody took the time to understand who we were. They always told us who we, who we were. So we, uh, we use social programs quite a bit. Um, does anybody remember government cheese back in the day? I would rather eat this podium than a slice of government cheese. Um, so there were, I can always recall the resources that were there, you know, but I can't really recall the people that were there. When I start to recognize people, I start to recognize people because they gave us time. And I'm going to say there were both positives and negatives to that. Um, I, share, I share a story quite often when I speak about when I was in sixth grade, I had a teacher tell me, Jason, you will never amount to anything. Are there any teachers in this room? Do not ever tell your students they won't amount to anything. Okay, so here I am, 40 years later, still talking about this imprint that a teacher put into my mind, okay? Now, there's a flip side to that, right? So I had to, um, I, as an 18-year-old, I went to Iowa State, went to college. I had to leave college because of some financial stuff that was going on with my family, so one of the first things I did was I called, the, I called the college aid office and I said, hey, I know this has happened. My goal is to get back to school. I want to, I want to start paying back against this, against this debt that's on me. So tell me, what's the minimum I have to pay? I'm going to write you a check, and if I have more, I'm always going to put that more in it. And I'll be honest, I could tell the lady on the other end of the phone, so imagine this is what she does. <laughs> for a living, is calls people who are not paying their bills. What do you think her vote of confidence was for Jason in paying his bill back? Probably not real high, right? 
So I paid the debt off um, in six months or so, and this is back in the time when they don't have cell phones. There's no cell phones out there. So I just happened one day to be at home in my apartment. I lived in Ankeny in my apartment, and my phone rings. No caller ID. So what do you do? You pick up your phone, right? So I pick up my phone, and here it is, this lady in the financial aid office at Iowa State. And she said to me, she said, Jason, I wanted to call you and tell you good job. She said, I get these phone calls all the time. And she said, generally, people will not follow through on what they say they're going to do. But she said, I knew from the conversation that I had with you, things were going to be different. And she said, I watched every month as you paid your check. And I smiled. And she said, I told myself, after watching two or three of these come in and you were always paying more, I told myself, I'm going to call that young man when the final bill is paid. And I'm going to tell him, good job. Okay? Was she a sheep? Or was she a goat? What was she investing in me? She wasn't sending me money. She wasn't paying my bills. What was she giving me? She gave me time. She took the time out to say, this is a person that can use a boost. To the day, I don't know this woman's name. I have never seen her. I've only talked to her on a phone, but do you think this story has impacted my life? She gave me 10 minutes of time, right? The worship team can come up. I want to give you one more, one more story here. My parents, it, it was a pretty, pretty tough, pretty tough family. And my mom passed away 12 years ago. And as she was kind of going through the process, they were, they were living, my family was living in a house in Olwine, Iowa. Um, it was a house that was a hoarder's home. Um, I'd say lots of livestock in the home. Some people call that pets. Um, but it was, just, it was just a house of chaos. It was always noisy. It was dirty, it was uncomfortable, it wasn't something you would feel like, that is home to me. But you know what? That was home to my family. That is how they viewed home. So when I went up and started cleaning out their home, imagine for, I don't know, probably two or three weeks, none of the neighbors had seen them around. But now they're seeing this strange guy with a pickup and a trailer, pulling stuff out of it, getting rid of stuff. Something must be going on. So a neighbor came over and said, hey, you know, what's, what's going on here? And I said, well, this is my parents' home. My mom is in Iowa City. She's, she's not going to make it, so we need to kind of clean up the house and move into whatever this next stage stage looks like. And that neighbor said to me, well, I wondered, kind of wondered what was going on. Seemed a little weird that somebody was there. And he said, you know, these weren't the type of people I'd interact with. They lived 
next to this neighbor for seven years. These aren't the type of people I would interact with. Is that a sheep? Or is that a goat? We need to be sheep, friends. Take the time to pause with someone. I'm going to contend time is the most valuable resource we have. And man, we sure spend it freely, don't we? Let me pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we desire to be sheep. We desire to follow you. We desire to hear you. We desire to serve in your name. But Lord, we are caught up in a world that tells us something different. Lord, I pray for our church that we can hear your small voice inside the noise of this world. We can be obedient to the person that's alongside the road. We can say to our neighbor, I'm glad you're here. So, Lord, I pray peace over this congregation. I pray blessing over this congregation. And I just confess that, Lord, we all need more of you. So speak into us today. Speak into us this week. Show us the world through your eyes. Lord, we love you. And we praise you. And we hold you up above all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.